You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 18. We're going to begin reading in verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter. One of the things we used to teach our students in preaching class was listen for the rustling of the pages before you start reading. (laughs) The pages are too far away for me to hear, and I can't hear your thumbs on your phones either, so I'm just going to have to fake it today. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sancreia he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There we go. Well, good morning, everyone. Once again, thanks for standing for the reading of God's Word. Um, well, again, as a reminder from what I said last week, just a little bit of what's coming down the road here. Uh, in about a week or two, we'll take a break in the book of Acts. I do promise, as much as I can, we will finish the book of Acts in 2020. A lot has happened in 2020, so I'm going to see if we can make that happen as well. Um, I'm going to transition into a short sermon series called One Big Story, where we're talking about creation, we're going to talk about fall, talk about redemption, and then final restoration. How do we all fit into this overall narrative that we read about in God's Word? And then after that, God, government, and the gospel. That's when it gets real spicy, right? Politics. I want to talk about what it means to be a Christian, right, in, in this 
American country that we live in, right? How do we love well? How do we love each other well in light of disagreements? And we're really going to dial in to that. It's going to be a heart check before we go to the voting booth. And that's what I'm hoping for. As it pertains to today, there's a particular focus on discipleship, which I'm excited about because as I've mentioned several weeks ago, Rob Lane, Lord willing, will be coming on as a bivocational elder. And in some of our discussions he and I have had is that he has a heart for discipleship. And um, we're going we're gonna to see a little bit of that today. And so that's just an FYI for all of you that how we're thinking about the future of the church. We're going to really tease that out. What does it mean to be a disciple? of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be discipled by someone else who's a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to walk this life together? And so more on that. So I'm going to briefly pray and then we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, once again, I come completely dependent upon you. And so I come underneath your word, wanting your word to speak and to instruct our hearts. Through the preaching of your word, May you be glorified, and may we walk away changed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the unspoken aspects of the Christian life in the book of Acts is discipleship. Um, as Peter, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, etc. evangelize and people are responding to the gospel, we see obviously churches are being established. And all this is, is great. <laughs> But if you've been a Christian for longer than like a nanosecond, you know that being a Christian isn't just about being saved. Being a Christian also involves growing in your relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about all the Jews who converted to Christianity as we've been kind of going through Acts. They began to believe Jesus is the promised Messiah. And all that Jesus said during his earthly ministry now needed to be applied to their lives. It would have been a radical transition. Just think about it. They went from believing Jesus is not the Son of God to Jesus is the Son of God. And that had massive implications. It's still a radical transition for Jews to convert to Christianity today. But what do these new converts to Christianity need? Discipleship. They need instruction. They need to be strengthened in their faith. This, the same is with non-Jews, right? We, we, see that, we see that they're Gentiles. Me and you. They get saved. And oftentimes getting saved meaning, meant that they left a little bit of their culture behind. They were working through, through a completely different worldview. They come to know the Lord and what do they need? Discipleship. They need instruction. They need to be strengthened in their faith. What all Christians need from the moment they're saved by the mercy and grace of God is discipleship. So what is discipleship? I think that's the right question to ask. What is discipleship? Well, first, the word disciple is used throughout the New Testament. We read in the Gospels that Jesus had disciples. Uh, John the Baptist had disciples. If you go back into um, history, you think, think, to, think to yourself like uh, um, Socrates or Plato, 
um, Aristotle, they all had disciples. To be a disciple means you are a learner or a follower of another individual. Christian discipleship is just really simple. We don't need to overcomplicate this. Christian discipleship is helping others follow Jesus. As a Christian follows Jesus, he or she is also helping others follow Jesus. I mean, we can really reduce it to that. A Christian helping another person follow Jesus, it can take place in different forms. It can be organic or programmatic. But discipleship is always intentional and personal with the end goal of helping others follow Jesus. Oftentimes we try to overcomplicate things. Let's not do that here. Let, 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 let us make it that simple. Let's go back to the beginning of the book of Acts where we see a form of discipleship taking place right away. The reason why Luke, who authors the book of Acts, the reason why he writes to begin with is he's trying to facilitate ongoing discipleship of this guy named Theophilus. You might remember him right at the beginning of Acts. The name Theophilus is probably a pseudonym for a Roman politician, but Luke, Luke first writes to Theophilus to tell him about Jesus and then tells him about his crucifixion and resurrection. That's like the gospel of Luke. And Luke writes the book of Acts to show how the gospel and the teachings of Jesus are what turning the world upside down. The teaching of Jesus is transforming the world. So Luke, a disciple of Jesus Christ, is using the power of the pen to disciple Theophilus. Let me help you fill in the gaps, Theophilus. Here's a gospel. Here's an entire book of Acts. So using the power of the pen, a text message or a DM, is an okay way to disciple, disciple but it does have its limits. As we continue to read the book of Acts, we see overwhelming evidence that discipleship involves taking time to be with people. Here are a few examples where we see discipleship taking place in Acts. In Acts 11, Barnabas, if you might remember, is in Antioch with, a brand, with brand new Christians, right? But he recognizes he can't care for the church on his own. So what does he do? He, uh, he phones a friend. He's like, hey, Paul, I know you're in Tarsus right now, but I'm wondering if you could come to Antioch and, and help me out here. We've got a, a bunch of new Christians who need some discipleship. Here's what it says in verse 26 of chapter 11. For a whole year after Paul came to Antioch, for a whole year they met with the church and taught great, great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So we have a new church with new believers. And for an entire year, Paul and Barnabas had one meeting after another with the express purpose of helping them follow Jesus. That's what they're there for. Bumping ahead a few more chapters, we read of another example of intentional discipleship. You might remember that Paul was almost stoned to death when he was in the city of Lystra. And then it says in verse 21 of Acts 14, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, there's that word again, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. What were they doing? Strengthening the souls of the disciples. 
encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So Paul gets stoned in Lystra and then he's like, well, there's a lot of Christians there. So even though I almost died, I'm going to go back after they kicked me out so that I can help them follow Jesus. What we see over and over and over again in the book of Acts is that the gospel is preached and people are saved, but the salvation of a soul is not the end, but it's the beginning. It's the beginning of following Jesus. It's the beginning of discipleship. When God saves, we oftentimes see this plan for ongoing discipleship in the book of Acts. For example, Paul and his companions will go to a city and preach. Some are saved by faith in Jesus, and then Paul will move on, but leave behind some of his companions and continue to minister and to disciple members of a new local church. This is kind of how I think about it in Sean Powers' brain. Um, so what do we got going on? What we have here is the right way to do a pyramid scheme. <laughs> Everything that business model. Except ongoing discipleships not moving back up the pyramid. Paul disciples a group of people. Then he tells that people, hey, I want you to go and disciple this group of people. And down the line it goes. There's an aspect of discipleship which is really important to grasp in Acts, and it's this, community. What we see in the book of Acts and what we see today is Christians realizing they are called to live in community with other Christians. We call it, obviously, church. The New Testament calls it church. And within the community of faith, Christians walk with one another. Again, this is discipleship. And as a Christian matures in the faith, he or she looks for others to disciple. Christians want to strengthen one another. Christians are called to encourage one another. So the point being here is that the Christian life is not a solo endeavor. That is not biblical. But the Christian life is a community endeavor because it's within that community where discipleship takes place. The Apostle Paul had a keen understanding of discipleship in Acts 18. Between verses 18 and 23, we read Paul is traveling with his friends Priscilla and Aquila. From Athens, they traveled to Ephesus. Again, if a flag went up in your brain when you heard the word Ephesus, it's because Paul would eventually write to the Ephesians, book of Ephesians. But this time, Paul leaves. He doesn't stick around. Paul did not stay in Ephesus, but he left behind Priscilla and Aquila to care for the church. So before looking at the discipling efforts of Priscilla and Aquila, it is worth noting that even though Paul left Ephesus, he still had discipleship on his mind. He went back to, we read in the, in the text, Galatia and Phrygia. These are regions he had already visited. The reason Paul goes back is to what we read here in verse 23, to strengthen all the disciples in that region. Paul wants to continue to walk with them as they walk with Jesus. Now, one could wonder, hey, Paul, why not stick around in Ephesus a little while longer? But here's the beauty of discipleship. 
even though Paul left, he trusted Priscilla and Aquila. He trusted them. So what gave Paul the confidence to leave Priscilla and Aquila behind while he went elsewhere? Well, I think we can take some liberty to imagine how Paul cared for and instructed Priscilla and Aquila while they traveled together. If you've ever been on a long road trip with a bunch of friends, uh, those are like unique settings. Like, so we're going to go to the mountains together. There's like three of you in a car, and all you're doing is driving. Well, what happens? You get to know people quickly. Well, this is a really, really, really long road trip between Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. Because of the time Paul spent with Priscilla and Aquila, I think he became comfortable leaving them behind in Ephesus while he moved on. So now we've got to ask the question, who are Priscilla and Aquila and why do they matter? Well, they are, quite simply, a dynamic duo. We read in Acts 18, they are Jews who lived in Italy, but they left Italy because Claudius Caesar kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Priscilla and Aquila were married. They met Paul in Corinth where they were saved because of the grace of the gospel. After experiencing the sweet salvation of the Lord, they are now looking out to tell others about Jesus and to walk with others who do have faith in Jesus. And in Ephesus, they meet this guy that we read about named Apollos. So who is Apollos? Who are all these people that we're being introduced to this morning? Well, Apollos was an Egyptian Jew from the city of Alexandria in Egypt. He's educated. It says he had excellent oratory skills. Paul mentions Apollos also in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul mentions him in in Corinthians 1 because there was a a little bit of celebrity pastor cult thing going on there. Some people were following Peter. Some people were following Paul. Some people were following Apollos. Apollos and Paul's like, no, 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 that's not how this works. You all follow Christ. So from what we read in Acts 18 in 1 Corinthians 1, Apollos had had developed quite the following. We read in verse 24 of Acts 18, he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. We also read he was fervent in spirit, taught accurately the things according to Jesus. So the impression we receive is that Apollos was doing a lot of good. He was doing a lot of good. Apollos was crushing it when he was preaching. So what's the problem? There does seem to be a few gaps in his theology. We have no reason to suspect Apollos of heresy, but perhaps a few pieces of the puzzle were missing. Perhaps there's also a question of maybe just general maturity. Apollos reminds me of me in this sense. Not that I'm eloquent. That's not the comparison here. It's this. When I first began to preach, I was just really excited. I tried to be persuasive. I wanted to show Christ in the Bible. But the Sean who began to preach 15 years ago is very different from today. Why? Because when I began to preach, there was a lack of understanding about the depths of the gospel. I did not understand the significance of grace in the Christian life. There was a lack of understanding about the majesty of Christ. I'd only been a Christian a few years, and what I needed more than opportunities to preach is for someone to come alongside me. 
to help me fill in the theological gaps, to help me walk out a godly life. And to be honest, I still need that kind of discipleship. You need that kind of discipleship. Because discipleship is a lifelong journey. So with Apollos, what's the problem here? What's the theological gap? It says in verse 25 that he only knew the baptism of John. It seems Apollos had been influenced by followers of John the Baptist. If you read the Gospels, he's the forerunner of Jesus. But at no point since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus did anyone tell Apollos that Christians are now baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Think Matthew 18. It also could be that Apollos might not have understood the significance of the baptism of what the Holy Spirit. Go back to Acts 2. Whatever the case, he is a man who needed to grow in his faith. And we're all not much different from Apollos. Just think about your own Christian life. How over the course of days, months, and years, you've grown in your knowledge of God. I'm sure there are certain doctrines or even perspectives of the world that have been changed over time in your life. As you look down in your Bible and then you look up, you realize, by God's grace, <laughs> things look a little bit different. I need to think a little bit different. Over time, you continue to conform into the person that you follow, Jesus. But here's the deal, and this is the point of this sermon, and it's what we read in the Bible. Apollos needed help to grow in his relationship with Jesus, and we need help to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Shortcomings, however they are defined, do not need to be barriers in your relationship with Jesus, but they are opportunities to grow. And many times receiving a little help from your friends facilitates growth and change. Apollos needed a little help. Here's the bottom line. We need one another to come alongside one another with the express purpose to encourage and strengthen one another to follow Jesus. We need each other. I need you. We need each other. So what does discipling look like? I do think we have a few clues in this passage that we can apply to our lives. Take a look at verse 26 if you got your Bible. It says, He, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the very way of God more accurately. What do we have here? Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos speak. They were not receiving information from a friend of a friend. Priscilla wasn't having coffee with the ladies one morning where someone gave, him the latest, gave her the latest scoop of what was being said at the synagogue. No, they heard exactly what Apollos said at the synagogue for themselves. I mentioned the importance of hearing directly from Apollos because if, you step toward, if you're going to step toward discipleship, it is going to take place as you are present with another person. Think of it like this. The reason why an older man was able to effectively disciple me after I became a Christian is that he took time to listen. He took time to watch me. 
He took time to ask questions. He was present. In other words, discipleship happens when Christians are actually with one another, hanging out with one another, being willing to listen to one another, having meals together, going to church together. If you're not present with other people, you realize there are a lot of limits to discipleship, and oftentimes it simply just does not happen. You know, you know a while back, I had actually took this online class and there was this coach, and the goal of the coach was basically to have, help pastors grow in their ministry. They had this discipleship emphasis. The coach, or the person discipling the pastors, he's a very well-known evangelical leader and author, great guy, I have a ton of respect for this person. But here's what I experienced. Discipleship never took place, never once. And in looking back, there are two reasons why this online coaching class had such a minimal effect in my life. First, the coach did not know my life. He did not know the context in which I pastor. He did not know the the dynamics of my family. He doesn't know the relationships that I have in the community or in the church. He only knew what the church website told him. From what I read in scripture and from personal experiences, discipleship thrives when individuals are breathing the same air, living in the same community, and connected in the same church. When kids are playing together, when meals are being shared, when people are serving each other out of love. The other reason why this class was a clunker for me is because it was online. Listen, technology is great. But in the long term, it ends up being a barrier to walking with other people as they walk with Jesus. We know this to be true during this COVID-19 winter, right? There came a point during this pandemic where I began to hear from people, I'm done with the screen. I'm done with Zoom. And I I was hearing that from Christians and non-Christians because everyone was doing it. They were done because we began to realize God has designed human beings to be social I mean, like, I don't even care what Enneagram number you are and what that tells you about you, right? God has designed you to interact with one another, to live in community with one another. Authentic community and discipleship happens when people are rubbing shoulders with one another. Authentic community and discipleship happens when the barrier between you and the other person is not a screen, but a dining room table. So Priscilla and Aquila hear from Apollos, and they heard from him in person. What else can we learn from Priscilla and Aquila? Well, after they heard Apollos speak, they they took him aside and spoke to him privately. They didn't go to Facebook or Twitter to call him out or to cancel him. They did not exploit his gaps and his theology for their own gain. No, they did what mature Christians do. They pulled him aside and like had this fireside chat and they spoke to him about Jesus Christ. And don't get me wrong, Scripture is replete with examples of calling out, say, false teachers. This, that's just not what we have here. Apollos is a brother in Christ. And as a brother in Christ, Priscilla and Aquila just want to encourage him. And they take time to explain 
to explain the depths of Jesus to him. What I imagine Priscilla and Quilla are doing is actually using the power of hospitality to care for Apollos. I like how the NIV translates verse 26. This is what it says. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So we're not talking about a private word spoken to Apollos right after he preached at church, right? But Apollos went to their home, likely had a meal, and they chatted about the Christian faith. I don't, don't want to stray too far from the main point, but I want to say this. Your home, and I know, it's, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic. I understand this. But as a general principle, your home is a powerful and positive tool when it comes to discipleship. Some of my favorite memories with the members in this church is when I've been in your home. In the first century, other than the synagogue, the home is the place where the church met. It's the place where discipleship happened. And here's the deal. You all can practice discipleship by using your home. You don't, you don't need a church program to practice discipleship. You do not need a handbook. You don't need to read the latest and greatest book on discipleship, although all of that can be fine. You just need to be willing to teach and to be taught. You need to be willing to receive encouragement and then give encouragement. You need to, will, need to be willing to serve and to be served. In Christian discipleship, you're always looking for help in your relationship with Jesus, and you're always looking to help others in their relationship with Jesus. You give and you take. In Acts 18, we not only see a glimpse of discipleship, but we see, also see the fruit of discipleship. This is what it says in verses 27 and 28. So after they bring Apollos into their, own, their home and have a meal and eat together, imagine they're telling stories, talking about Jesus. This is what we read. And when he, Apollos, wished to cross Achaia, and the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. A point we can take away from verse 27 and 28 is that the investment made in the life of Apollos from Priscilla and Aquila was bearing fruit through his preaching ministry. Priscilla and Aquila watered the gospel seed planted into Apollos' heart by the Holy Spirit. As we engage one another in this church, we want to invest in one another. We can invest by reading the word together, talking about Jesus together. I mean, imagine just for a moment, if we talked more about Jesus than COVID-19, if we talked more about Jesus than what is going on on the streets of America, if we talked about Jesus more than what you ate this morning, right? We can begin to conform our language and fix our eyes on Christ. We will see authentic, authentic discipleship 
taking place in ways you have never experienced before. So we need to be willing to get into each other's lives. We need to be willing to be vulnerable with our pain and with our hurt. We want to be patient with those who are going through a rough season. We want to be intentional, authentic, and loving. You know, we have everything we need as a church to do discipleship well. We have everything we need. We have God's word. We have this book. We have the spirit working within us. The question is, are we willing to engage? Are we willing to admit that we need help to grow in our relationship with Jesus? Are we willing to invite others into our lives even when it feels uncomfortable? All you introverts out there, I love you. Right? But are you willing to be like, All right, I need this, this is good for me. This is how God designed me for community. To allow someone to walk with me and then you can walk with other people. Are we willing to commit ourselves to make sacrifices to live this kind of life? So, if you've got nothing from this sermon, here's the one takeaway. The Christian life is a call to lifelong discipleship. I'll say it one more time. The Christian life is a call to lifelong discipleship. That's what we see in Scripture. That's how we know that God has designed us. We just need to be willing to work that out and walk that out in our lives. For our good, it's for our good and for the honor and glory of our great God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You're you. listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.